another crazy week, huh? I thought the craziness was over. I, I've written about the, the, the events of, of this last week and in this week's From Pulpit and Paper. I'd encourage you to read that. We really never know what the future holds. But God is in control. And that is our confession and that is our hope. And that's the reality, that all things are happening and transpiring exactly as God has planned it to be. We might not understand that plan, nor foresee that plan, but that is, that is what Scripture teaches. So I'd encourage you to, to read this week's From Pulpit and Paper. And, and if, you're a, if you're new to our church, what I'm referring to every week in the bulletin, either Pastor Jesse or I will write a little devotional thought. That thought could be based on something culturally, something theologically, something with reference to our, our church life together. And we write that to, to edify you, to extend our teaching ministry beyond the pulpit. And if you would like to have a copy of that, you can either grab a hard copy in our church, or you can receive that via email on Monday mornings. Our, our Virginia Brown, our church administrator, she, she will send that to you if she has your email address. So if you'd like that, and you do not receive that, email Virginia, and she can put you on that email list. We're continuing our series in prayer, continuing our series by beginning with theological foundations of prayer. Prayer is something that we practice as Christians, and all of our practices as Christians, our ethics, what we do, must be rooted in who God is, who Jesus is. Our actions, our life, our conduct flows from who God is and what God does. This morning we're going to be investigating the first part of Jesus as intercessor. Now I, I know I said last week that the series on prayer would be something like two to three months. As I'm diving in, I'm just seeing the richness here, so we might, we might go a little bit longer than two to three months, but I hope to keep it fresh. I did not plan to have two sermons on Jesus as intercessor. But there's just such richness here. To begin this morning, let's go ahead and open up to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, verse 23. Our prayer life as Christians is built upon Jesus' prayer life. Jesus prays for us. Dear Christian, Jesus is praying for you right now. And so that our, we, we want our, our, our prayer lives impacted more by looking at Jesus' prayer life. So the goal of this week and next week is going to be examining Jesus' prayer life. Jesus' prayer is not for himself. Jesus does not pray for himself. But he prays for you. And by looking at Jesus' prayer life for you, I want our prayer lives to be changed. Hebrews 7 23. We'll read through verse 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, the he here is the Lord Jesus Christ, but Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he, Jesus, 
always lives to make intercession for them. So this passage is going to be the passage for the next two weeks. We're going to investigate this passage for the next two weeks. Next week, we'll deal directly with this passage. I will exposit this passage. But this week, what I'm going to do is delve into the Old Testament background for this passage. Taking notice of this passage, the author of Hebrews refers to Jesus here as a priest. As a priest. Now, the priesthood is a concept that develops in the Old Testament. To really appreciate and understand this passage specifically, and the book of Hebrews as a whole, we really need to grow in our understanding of what the Old Testament teaches about the priesthood. And the reason why we want to do that is because Jesus is a priest. Jesus is the priest, the high priest. What the Old Testament foreshadows and gives to us in images, Jesus is the fulfillment of. So to better understand Jesus as a priest, we have to understand what the Old Testament teaches regarding the priesthood. Now with Jesus, who he is as priest, and what he does is intimately related. I want you to notice in verse 25 of of Hebrews 7. Actually, let's look at verse 24. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. We might take verse 24 to be saying that Jesus is a priest. Jesus is the, the eternal priest. And then look at verse 25. Consequently, as a result, as a result of Jesus' eternal priesthood, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' role as intercessor is intimately related to Jesus' person as priest. Jesus as priest is related to Jesus' function of intercessor. And Jesus' function of intercessor, and by intercessor, this means Jesus is praying for us. Jesus' function as, of intercessor is related to his role of being a priest. So touching on my definition of the gospel that I used some weeks ago, the gospel is the story of the person and work of Christ in his first and second coming. So here in this Hebrew passage, what we see is we see these two ideas of Jesus' person, who he is, as priest, intimately related to his work as intercessor. So priest and intercessor, who Jesus is, what Jesus does, his person and his work. Now what we want to do is we want to go into the Old Testament and see how these two ideas, these two ideas of Jesus as person, Jesus as priest, and Jesus as intercessor, how these ideas develop. How these ideas develop. When we read Scripture, it is so important for us to realize that Scripture is a developing story. 
the story of Scripture develops. Who Jesus is in the Bible develops. As we read the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and as we go through the Old Testament canon, the Old Testament part of our Bibles, what we see is that the story of who Jesus is, the understanding that we get in the Old Testament, develops. Now, let me be clear. By develops, I do not mean is distorted. Let me be very clear here. What I am saying is that in the Old Testament, in Genesis, in the first five books of the Bible, what we get is a seed, okay? What we get is a seed. And as the story of Scripture develops, that seed becomes a seedling. It grows. It develops. The development is always in accordance with what was revealed earlier. But there's a fuller revelation. And as you continue through the Old Testament, that seed becoming a seedling becomes a sapling. And then that sapling becomes a young tree. And as you go through Scripture, and as we go through eternity, as we go through eternity, that seed of revelation that God gave us in the Old Testament develops into a redwood. So that's the idea that I'm going to be tracing. Jesus as priest and intercessor, starting in the Old Testament, looking at the seed, looking at the first nuggets to see how it develops. And what we see in Hebrews is that Hebrews 7, this passage in Hebrews 7, pulls together what the Old Testament teaches about Jesus' role as priest and his deed of intercession. So we're examining the seeds to see how this seed develops into a large tree by the time we get to the book of Hebrews. And we need to read Scripture in this manner. We cannot read Scripture as flat. Scripture is a story, and that story develops certain themes. And it's so helpful and important to see how those themes are connected and how those themes grow and are developed. So first we'll start by reading our passage. Have I done that yet? Have I done that? Okay, I have done that. I don't even remember. I'm, I'm so excited. Let's go to Genesis 14. Genesis 14. This is the seed of Jesus as priest and intercessor. We'll start in verse 17. What this passage gives to us, this is the first reference to the priesthood in the Old Testament. If you're asking the question, what is a priest? What is the priesthood? The first passage that you should go to is this passage regarding Melchizedek. Genesis 14, beginning in verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Shedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheveh, Sheveh, that is the king's valley. 
And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, Abram. Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now this portion of scripture seems to come out of nowhere. Melchizedek, who is the first priest in scripture, seems to come out of nowhere. Now I want us to see, I want us to investigate this passage on the basis of Melchizedek's person and his work, who he is and what he does. So first regarding who he is. We need to notice that in Genesis, important figures are oftentimes introduced with genealogies, and the end of their life is spoken of. So, for example, Adam, we're given his years, how long he lives. Abraham, we're told when he dies. Isaac, Jacob, we're told when they die. Now, Melchizedek is on the level of importance with these other Old Testament figures. But I want you to see in this passage, Melchizedek has no genealogy. Melchizedek has no genealogy, nor is Melchizedek's death spoken of. So what we see here is the author of Genesis, Moses, he is using Melchizedek in a way that points to an eternal priest, a priest that has no beginning and has no end. Now, I do not believe Melchizedek was that priest. I do not believe that Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. What I think, though, here is that the, uh, Moses is using Melchizedek to point to a fulfillment that one day there will be this eternal priest. And Melchizedek functions in this way. He has no beginning in the story of Genesis, and he has no end. He is, in some sense, eternal in the book of Genesis. Now also notice in verse 18, he is referred to as a king and also a priest. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Now king and priest, what, the, what Moses is doing is he's combining these titles. Seldom do you find this in the Old Testament. Usually if there is a king or a priest or a prophet, those persons are one and not the other. Now, Melchizedek is king and priest. So here we have this reference to priest. Now, what does a priest do? What does Melchizedek do? What is his function? His person, and he is in some sense eternal. And he is a priest. Now, what does he do? What does he do for Abraham? Verse 19 and 20. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So here, Melchizedek is speaking. He has this ministry of speech. And in this ministry of speech, Melchizedek places himself in between God and Abram. Melchizedek here is invoking blessings from God to Abraham, and he is invoking praise from Abraham to God. And Melchizedek 
is right in the middle. We might say that he is a mediator. Priests are mediators. Priests are, who are, are persons in Scripture who stand between God and man. And they invoke to man God's blessings. Blessed be Abram by God Most High. And they invoke praise to God from man. And blessed be God Most High. So Melchizedek here is calling down, he is interceding for Moses by bringing down blessings from God to Abram. And Melchizedek also stands in between Abram and God and gives glory to God on Abram's behalf. So here we have a mediator, and this mediator functions to call down blessings, and to bring up praise from man to God by means of speech. In some way, we can see Melchizedek here interceding, standing in between man and God. This is what priests do. So this is the seed. This is the seed that Hebrews 7, in Hebrews 7, we have this tree. Now let's go to the next step. Let's see this seed develop. Let's go to Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 is a tremendously important passage in the Old Testament. Leviticus 16 references a specific day of atonement that Israel is to engage in. Now, there are many different sacrifices in Leviticus, many different sacrifices. But the most important, the most central Old Testament sacrifice is the day of atonement. So we're in Leviticus 16. Let's first look at verse 34. Verse 34, Leviticus 16, 34. We're going to read verse 34 to see the importance of this day. This is God talking. He is speaking here to Moses. And this, this, which is the day of atonement, and this day shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. So Leviticus 16 is a day in which all of the sins of Israel are atoned for. It happens one day a year. Jews still today practice this day. This is a, the most holy day in Judaism today. It's called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur means Day of Atonement. Jews still do this today. They do it in a very different way than in Leviticus 16. But nonetheless, this is very important for us understanding the Old Testament sacrificial system. It happened one day a year. It was for all of Israel. And what happened was that the high priest, so we're transferring from Melchizedek to the high priest. The high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and sacrifices sacrifices and spills the blood of a goat for the sins of Israel. 
Now the high priest also confesses upon another goat the sins of Israel. And that goat is led out into the wilderness as a symbol and sign of Israel's sin being taken away from them. To show you this in the passage, look at verse, let's, let's look at verse 20. Hebrews 16, 20. And when he, the he here is the high priest, and when the high priest had made an end of atoning for the holy place, and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. So there's a dead goat who's sacrificed, and there's a live goat who's sent out into the wilderness. Verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel. And all their transgressions, all their sins. And the high priest shall put them, these sins, these transgressions, on the head of the goat, and send the goat away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The, the goat, this goat who goes into the wilderness, shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he, this man who leads the goat away, shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now, how does this relate to Jesus? What we see here, this high priest is standing in between God and man. This high priest has been instituted by God for this duty. And what the high priest does is he has a live goat. He puts his hands on the head of the live goat, and he prays. He gives a prayer of confession. He confesses on this innocent goat the sins of Israel. And by means of this prayer, by means of this act of intercession, this high priest transfers the sins of Israel away from Israel onto a goat. And this goat is led out into the wilderness to die. And what this means is that Israel's sins, their consequences, their guilt, is taken away from them. And the way that happens, the way that God's people receive atonement in the Old Testament is by means of a priest. Specifically, a priest who intercedes for God's people. In the Old Testament, the high priest's job was to serve as a mediator, to serve as a go-between, to serve as a priest, that by means of prayer, by means of confession, by means of appealing and pleading, Israel's sins were taken away. One last passage, Isaiah 53, verse 12. Isaiah 53, verse 12. So we've studied Melchizedek. We've studied the high priest. And now, 
What we have left is the suffering servant. So we're examining these three figures in the Old Testament. First, Melchizedek. Second, the high priest. Third, the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Now, before we jump into this, I, I want to give a little context about Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 presents us with this figure known as the suffering servant. Look with me at Isaiah 52, verse 13. Should be just a page before 53, 12. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Here we are introduced to this figure. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. So Isaiah is speaking from God with reference to a servant. Now this servant, look with me at 52, 13. He shall be high and lifted up, shall be exalted. Verse 15, this servant shall sprinkle many nations. Now I take this as a reference to atonement. The Old Testament taught that the high priest would go into the most holy place and sprinkle the blood of the goat on the place of atonement. Now what we see here is this figure, this servant, he is the one who sprinkles many nations. What we have in Isaiah 53 is this theme of priesthood is united with a suffering servant. So this suffering servant is also a priest. Look with me at 53. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our grief. So this suffering servant is a man of sorrows. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So this servant who God raises up is thought of to be afflicted by God. It gets even worse for this servant. Verse 5. But he, the servant, was pierced for our transgressions. The servant was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. So this servant, who is a servant of Yahweh, who is God's chosen instrument in the world, he functions as a priest. But the sacrifice he offers is not a goat. The sacrifice he offers is himself. Verse 5 references forgiveness and atonement. But he was pierced for our transgressions. So the reason why the servant is pierced, the reason why he was crushed, is not for his sins, but for the sins of his people. And this crushing, this piercing, this punishment that is brought upon this servant, who is also a priest, it is by means of the act of punishment that is brought upon the, the servant in which the people of God receive forgiveness. 
Upon him, verse 5, Isaiah 53, 5, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So what this is saying is that there is this judgment upon this servant. Now this servant is a priest. And the sacrifice that the priest offers to God is himself. And the sacrifice that the servant offers to God is the means by which the people of God receive forgiveness. Now let's look at verse 12. Actually, before we read that, let let me make a brief comment about Isaiah 53. I've said this from the pulpit before. I might have said it two times. I know I've said it to the youth, but it's worth repeating. Isaiah 53 is one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture. Isaiah 53 is the clearest prophecy of who Jesus Christ is and what he will do. If you are not a Christian, I would strongly encourage you to read Isaiah 53. When I was in Dallas, before coming here, I had a non-Christian friend who I challenged with this passage. I went up to him one day, and I said, Hey, friend, let me read this passage to you, and you tell me who it's talking about. So I read the passage to him. And without skipping a beat, my friend said, Oh, that's referring to Jesus. Now, the problem that that poses for the non-believer is that Isaiah 53, the book of Isaiah as a whole, was written some 500 years before Jesus was born. The reason why this can be so specific regarding who Jesus is and what he has done is because the Bible is the Word of God. God knows the future, God plans the future, and he puts that plan in Scripture. And what we see in Isaiah 53 is that plan being foretold with tremendous specificity. So Isaiah 53, 12. Let's go to the very last two statements of Isaiah 53, 12. It says this, Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now I take the end of Isaiah 53, 12 to be something of a summary statement of all that went before it. And I take the summary statement to be what Jesus does, what this priest does, what this suffering servant does. What he does is he bears the sin of many. He is our atonement. He is how we are saved. If you are longing for salvation, it is only found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ offers to bear your sins. He died for us. Now I want you to notice in the ESV, bore is past tense. He bore the sin of many. That's referring to something in the past. Now look at how the ESV renders the next clause. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. The ESV 
What that is doing is it is highlighting a difference of verb here. It's referring to the past work of atonement of this suffering servant. But the way the ESV treats intercession is that it is an active, ongoing ministry. So the atonement, what Jesus does for you, what I take this to be referring to, so linking this with Jesus. Jesus died once. Jesus died once. Jesus is not still on the cross. Jesus died once. He bore the sin of many in the past tense. Now his priestly ministry, though, is ongoing. Part of his priestly ministry... One part of it is atonement, yes. But also one part of it is intercession. We had that with Melchizedek. Melchizedek interceded for Abram. He invoked, God, he invoked God's blessings upon Abram, and he brought Abram's praise to God. The high priest intercedes for the people of Israel. He offers atonement and he intercedes. Now, with Jesus, with the suffering servant, with this very specific passage, what Jesus does is he offers atonement. He offers his body, he offers his life for you. But that is not the end of his priestly ministry. There is this ongoingness that Jesus has for us. There is this ongoing priestly ministry that Jesus has for us. And that ongoing priestly ministry, which is alluded to here, which we get in a seed form. And he makes intercession for the transgressors. Is going on right now. So let's, we've examined these three passages. Let's jump back to Hebrews 7 and read the passage one more time. And I will give a brief preview of where I'm going to go next week. How I'm going to exposit this passage. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. I'm going to kind of fill in the gaps. Hopefully I won't steal too much thunder from next week's sermon. But to just show you how this, how this important Old Testament context helps us better understand Hebrews. Hebrews 7 23. The former priests, Melchizedek, the high priest, and every priest in between, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Melchizedek dies. It's not recorded, but he does die. The high priest dies. The high priest, there has to be a new high priest every time the old high priest dies. And there are other priests who are involved in the sacrificial system. But they cannot continue in their office. They die. 24. There's a but. Praise God, there is a but. Praise God that our salvation is not dependent upon a, 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 a purely a man. But... But he, Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, the true Melchizedek, the true high priest, holds his priesthood permanently because he never dies, because he continues forever. 
Consequently, as a result of Jesus being the true Melchizedek, the true high priest, the suffering servant who offers himself, who is raised by God from the dead, as a result of that, dear Christian, he is able to save you to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him. Such an important word next. Sense. Sense. All of these ideas are related. Sense. He always lives to make intercession for them. So bringing all of the Old Testament to bear upon this passage, what we see in the Old Testament is we see this seed beginning with Melchizedek. Melchizedek has no beginning and has no end in Genesis. According to the book, he is something of an eternal priest. He stands in between Abram and God. He intercedes for Abram. He calls down blessings to Abram from God. Next, we see the high priest. We see the high priest confessing on this goat who goes into the wilderness. We see this priest functioning as an mediator, as an intercessor, as someone who stands in Israel's place and confesses their sins to God and who places their sins on a goat who takes the sins of Israel away from them. The priest, the high priest, is an intercessor. He is a mediator between God and Israel. And then in Isaiah 53, what we see is there is this coming figure who is Yahweh's unique servant. This unique servant will offer atonement. The atonement will be himself. The suffering servant is himself a priest. He offers atonement for the sins of God's people. And he also performs this other priestly act, act of intercession. He provides atonement and constantly and repeatedly performs his priestly role of intercession after his atonement is given. That's what we see in the Old Testament. That's what we're going to see more of next week. That's what Hebrews assumes. That's what Hebrews is built on. So, dear friends, my main goal in this morning's sermon is to help you see that. Is to help you see the richness, the richness of the Word of God. All of this is connected. All of it is a developing story. Now we have no idea what Jesus' intercessor will be, be like for us in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know if Jesus' priestly ministry to us will continue, for there will be no more sin. We have to wait and imagine and dream of what that will be like. But what we see in Hebrews is we see Jesus' intercessor. And that ministry is related to Jesus' priest. And that priestship, that priesthood, is related to Melchizedek, the high priest, and the suffering servant. Dear friends, if you are not a Christian, I strongly encourage you to consider these things. 
If you do not know Jesus, you have no priest. And dear Christians, love Jesus more because of his constant intercession for you. And to just give you a little bit, a little bit of homework for next week's sermon, a little bit of homework. Study these passages, okay? Write down these passages. Study all of Hebrews 7. And also read Romans 8.34 and 1 John 2.1 and read all of John 17. I, I can't remember the exact reference. I believe it's it's Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Yeah, read, read, the, read the whole chapter of John 17. So that way, when we come next week, we can better understand who Jesus is as priest and his intercession for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, the prophet, priest, and king, he is the fulfillment of of all that we long for and all that the Old Testament point towards. God, I pray that as Christians that we would see that and that that would transform our hearts to love Him more. That by growing in our understanding of Him, that by growing in our understanding of what He does for us and our sins, that we will pray more, that we will intercede more for others. And that we would love Jesus Christ more. And for the non-believer, I pray that they would be challenged. That they would see the magnificence and beauty and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that his love, his compassion, his mercy for them, his offering of priestly mediation for them, his offering of atonement and intercession for them, would move their hearts to believe. Father, we desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray that we would realize that more and more. I pray all these things in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of our eternal priest, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.